0: All agreed to that, ought we'll to be happy. Never agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem.
1: Good morning. Today is Wednesday and this is the Urban Talk Radio 103.5 FMW and where you hear conversation, information, education and inspiration from the American urban perspective. I am your host Kinsley Osset and my co-host Pick is in the building. Uh, What's up? Have- why are we not on Facebook yet, man? Why are we not on Facebook yet? I keep refreshing. Not don't even say. mess
0: with. Don't even mess with Harry, man. Let's get to our guests, man. In we love the these studio people, man.
1: today, we will announce our special guests very soon. Today on Urban Talk Radio, you can join the conversation on Facebook at Bullmice and Twitter also, and uh, also on my Facebook page Kinsley Osei. You can also stream this show on your smartphone or computer by logging on to NewHavenIndependent.org. Today we have a very special programming. Um, our first series of black history month. And um, we have a very, very, very important topic today. Uh, We will be talking about the effects of urban and generational trauma. And yes, we do have some experts out here to help us have that conversation. These people are not new to this conversation just because they aren't ready to talk about it. They've been in the community fighting for the cause, fighting for, Um, you know fighting for our youth and our young adults so we're bringing them on radio to talk to the world about the effects of urban and generational trauma Shafiq before I introduce my guest how are you my brother I'm doing good my trauma level
0: is at a probably on a scale of one to ten today it's about eight and eight is high so I'm working on that working on that after this I'm gonna go run after this I'm gonna I woke up yeah so that's 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 I was it's, thinking about the people in uh, and you know, I, I was thinking about the people in um, in Turkey. I talked to some some of my brothers yesterday. Uh, Kadir, who owns Brick Oven Pizza, and he's doing actually an event tomorrow. He's he said all of the sales of the pizza that he makes next tomorrow at um, Brick Oven Pizza, he's going to give all of the proceeds to the earthquake victims in Turkey. He's from Turkey. So that was that, that, that was a serious. That's a that serious. Is, uh, so can we do? You know, can we do a moment of silence
1: for them? Yes, please. Let's do that. Let's have a moment of silence for all our brothers and sisters in uh Turkey. Those buildings were coming down, man. It's not. It was um, not a good look at all. So let's have a moment of silence, please. It's a five seconds moment of silence because we're on the radio. Radio is business. It costs a lot of money to get a thirty seconds commercial. So I hope they respect our five. Seconds moment of silence all right that was
0: serious man The whole whole like the whole if you look at the aerials now that's coming out like the whole town man just on both sides like syria and turkey yeah and and the, and the syrian side they were already refugees so situation was just a reminder you know it was a reminder for me a sober moment and i'm gonna move on with it um we have issues here in america especially as african americans we know our struggle right? Uh, but we, we, it's always another struggle. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's always something else going on. So, so, you know, we just have to take what we have here and maximize it to the highest potential.
1: You know, don't leave, definitely. I think brother Muhammad will understand this. Don't leave nothing on the table. We leave was nothing on the table. Was definitely. So, so on that note, we're going to get straight into it. I will introduce um, our special guest. Um One is new to one is new to the show. The other one is not. And um, I got to beat myself in the air. Why have my brother, Kevin Mohammed not been to the show yet? That is something that um, I can't even answer right now because I am good for putting my family first on everything that I do before any other. And um, we so like it's
2: to- not like we have the easiest schedules either. Yes.
1: Definitely, 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 <laughs> definitely. So Kevin Mohammed is the lead clinician at GBAP, uh, GB. E-A-P-G-B-A-P-P or G-B-A-P-P? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. GBAP Inc., uh, which is the home of the executive director, Nancy Kingwood, Reverend Nancy Kingwood. Reverend Nancy Kingwood came to our show. We had a lot of fun. Um, We had a, you know, um, it was very, very, very uh, informative. Um, People didn't even know what the organization really was and what they were doing in our community. I got to give her props. She have really turned it around. She understands marketing. She understands urban marketing. She understands, you know, where we are. She understands what it takes to really um, get the people to understand uh, the programs that they are offering. So every now and then when me and Miss Terry are at the table or we hear people on social media say, oh, there is nothing for our kids to do. There is nothing for our kids to do. I'm like, you was at the table with us. You was at the mayor's conference room meetings with us. And then you turn around and you go to the community and join the choir there is nothing at the table. There is nothing for the kids to do. Come on. You should be encouraging the parents to do what they need to do, which means the service providers are providing services and you was at the table and you you need to be bringing that to the people and stop joining the people saying there is nothing for our kids to do. So I'm not buying that anymore. Our second guest I'm going to introduce is Ms. Terry Williams. Ms. Terry Williams is a retired adult probation supervisor. Um, she is She's a Connecticut Against Violence, I'm community against know. violence vet, mentor, our spiritual advisor. She's a clinician, uh, law enforcement advisor. Um, she's also my accountability partner, right along with my brother Kevin. And for all you guys that do not understand accountability partners, It's uh, We all need that. A lot of time, you guys are surrounded with people that are just going to say, yes, man, yes, man. Scared to tell you what you did wrong because of whatever they may be doing for you. I'm happy to have accountability partners in my life um, that I can call on to or they will call me to let me know you are right, you are wrong. This is the right way to do things. These are the people that I have on the radio show right now. even my brother, um, my brother, uh, Shafiq, you know, a couple of times we get off the radio and I'll give him a phone call and I'm like, brother, you said this, that was not right. Make sure it's not repeated. Um, this and that. And he uh, has said, and he said ac- 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 that. Hey, what and, you uh, talking about, man? We can already have some
0: trauma. We can already have some drama. What you,
1: That's what drama. you, talk, what you what talking, talking about? This and that? that,
0: bro. That'd be, that'd be me
1: calling you, bro. <laughs> like That'd be me calling you, bro. What that? I'm a, let me get off this. Yeah, you <laughs> like, know, my be... bro, like my brother, Doctor Adolf Brown, would say, "Real talk." A mm-hmm. matter of fact, I, I got the word "accountability partner" from his um from his um, um show that me, myself and Miss Terry are on every week. It's called the Balcony in the Balcony Podcast, where there are different topics. Um, Every single week. And our accountability partners happen to be one of the topics that I enjoyed the most because we all need accountability partners. But today we're going to be talking about urban, the effects of urban and generational trauma. Why this topic? Uh, brother Kevin, reintroduce um, yourself as what you do for right. GBAP. You are uh you are also an educator that transitioned into this field that you are very passionate about. Talk to right us.
2: so um, I um uh, years ago uh, began to look at my immediate community, family, personal life, and found that um a lot of us needed to bring what was unconscious into the country. What that means is that a lot of us react to things based on things that we don't understand consciously violence um the ability to soothe ourselves through drug use, um, the way that we govern ourselves in relationships, this is all unconscious. And so sometimes having somebody like a therapist to have the conversation and look at your behavior, look at your co- yourself, co- uh, look at you cognitively, they can look at what's examined, what's unconscious and bring it out. And how that's helpful is you begin to understand why you do what you do. So um, one of the things that I really believe in is what's called psychoeducation. That's just basically, why do I act? Why do I respond? What are the mechanics of it? So um, I've been on this journey since 2011. Uh, I went back to school at the University of St. Joseph and picked up my MSW in 2018. I became a licensed clinician. Uh, I started with GBAP in 2001, July, we started a men's group for black men's called black men in trauma. And we got rid of the name trauma because it's, we want resiliency work because we don't want a trauma bond. So now the black men in resiliency, we've had men come to this group since July, 2021 consistently until now. Uh, and so, uh, I, I conduct a group. I, uh, I also see clients, mostly boys and men privately for one-on-one therapy sessions. I also am a consultant in schools, early childhood. I work in about 15 different early childhood schools, um, helping with behavior, behavior modification, and also children that are have severe trauma. DCF funds a classroom where I go in every Friday And I see a few kids that do play therapy for 30 to 40, 30, 45 minute sessions, doing cognitive behavioral therapy, role play and other things to help them heal from the trauma past that they uh, have been exposed to.
1: Awesome. Um, Reverend um, Terry Williams, um, let me allow you to reintroduce um, yourself and um, why this particular um,
3: topic. Good morning, good morning. As Kingsley always says, I have to claim ownership to the Department of Corrections. I uh, was formerly a parole manager um, overseeing the Bridgeport Parole and Community Service, as well as New Haven and Waterbury. um, Since retired from there, currently working um, at the workplace as the vice president of the reentry programs, working with individuals still Reintegrating them back into their communities, offering them employment opportunities, training, career development, and just servicing the needs of the individuals who are returning citizens. Um, This is near and dear to me, um, working with the Department of Corrections, because many of the individuals who are returning from incarceration have and still are experiencing trauma in their lives. Some have never dealt with it some have never overcome some of the traumas that they have been affected by. Um, So this is near and dear, um, as our brother Muhammad said, you know, we don't want to like to continue to use the word trauma because it re-victimizes the individuals. Mm. Wanna chime in, um, Brother Shafiq?
0: Yeah, I, I like what both of them are saying. You know, the the concept of trauma is really, it's just taken into a whole different um, place, right? So it's like, we have trauma in urban America, and then that normally denotes African American, Hispanic, Latino. And then there's like this this other type of trauma. There's also trauma like in law enforcement, for instance, right? And then there's trauma in emergency rooms. And so I like what both of y'all are saying around the trauma bonding because a lot of times we find ourselves in those situations where just together, it's a day off. We're supposed to be doing something, and we're talking about either our tragedy, um, somebody else's tragedy, and then what it turns into the struggle story, right? I got a struggle story. Um, Brother Muhammad wants to relate to me, so he tells me his struggle story. Then the Rev tells me her struggle. Then, like you said, we're just all trauma bond, right? And we leave feeling a little bit better. I call it the, like the garbage bag because we took some some stuff out of our garbage bag, so it feels lighter. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we made ourselves stronger for the next event. So, so, um, so I think yeah. Go ahead. So, so this is why training is
2: necessary for clinician in trauma because when somebody is traumatized, there are three choices. Either they fight, they take flight or they freeze. And so what you see with acting out in our community, especially violence among young brothers, you'll see that most of that trauma has been inherited generational. And what I mean by that is they've done studies uh, where they found that like, Take for instance, um, the World Trade Center. The women that were pregnant that were in that um, 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 tragedy, their children um, had higher stress hormones or cortisol and had a harder time dealing with uh, situations where a lot of times normally we would be able to, to deal with hardships. So what that showed is that trauma can be passed down genetically they're also doing studies on epigenetics like saying, whether it was the Jews in the Holocaust, the Japanese internment camps, that when the adults were traumatized, they pass on trauma through the DNA. Now, it doesn't destroy the DNA, but it changes the way DNA is, um, is actually carried out or what it produces. So you can actually have poor health susceptibility towards drugs, drug use, um, propensity towards violence, the inability to regulate your emotions passed down from your ancestors who were traumatized. Now, who was more traumatized than those of us who were brought from Africa, 9,000 miles into America and didn't just have slavery, but slavery, Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow, and also urban violence up to this moment. So we've never truly healed. Now, to to address what um, Shafiq was saying, yeah, when the groups just talk, that's a support group. But in a clinical setting, the first step to helping somebody with trauma is to make them feel emotionally and physically safe. We don't heal unless we feel safe. The question is, how many of us in our community feel emotionally safe, physically safe, or are we being re-traumatized to where we never get to a place of safety? So in a clinical trauma group or a session, it is to help the person to feel safe and to give them safe space, safe place, so that they can actually move in the right direction towards healing. And that means having a, a safe person that they can talk about their trauma to. The trauma might just be, might be anything from growing up and you were traumatized as a child in your religious setting and you have never dealt with it, but you've never had anybody safe to speak to but it causes hypervigilance, anxiety, lack of digestion, lack of sleep, and also um, um, some physiological things like headaches and other things and ultimately may cause a breakdown. Now, how do you how do you deal with that? You have to have first a safe space and a safe place. And then clinically, once you know what the problem is, then you can diagnose it and then move towards healing through different methods and coping skills and strategies. So what we do as clinicians is a little different than people just getting together. It takes skill. It's almost like an education where yeah, anybody can teach a lesson. But do they have the ability to take a child that doesn't know and skillfully move them through assessments that they can actually score well and move on to the next grade? So what what I do and what many do, what Terry may do, is more than just sitting together talking. It is using clinical skills to actually heal people from trauma. Uh, Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. Terry, I was asking you to chime in. To piggyback off of Brother um, Muhammad, we also have to address the fact that many of our brothers and sisters were taught not to seek counseling. And so therefore they live with this trauma for many, many years and generations to generations. And breaking that cycle is, is crucial because the only way that we are going to grow, as a community and heal as a community, is each one has to, you know, seek within themselves and find out what they are dealing with and, you know, seek professional help. A lot of times we, you know, and the forefathers and mothers, they sought religion and religion was the safe haven. The churches were the safe haven. The churches were the leaders in the community. They led a lot of the rallies, the marches. Those leaders were strong leaders in the churches. And so people felt safe when they went to churches. And again, through the, um, through the years, People haven't been safe in churches, be with the bombings, with the shootings, and things like that. So we have to make sure that we are putting people in the right place to receive the help that they need to overcome the trauma that you know we have dealt with. And I always say that, an urban community, we have been victimized in, in so many ways. Um, right out the gate, right out the gate. You know, many students are walking to school and they 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 walk across the um, police tapes when you have a murder or a shooting and they see those things where others, you know, students may not see that. So they're faced with it, even if they are not a part of it, but it's because of their community they are you know traumatized by a lot of things that are happening. So you Did basically
1: you? um nailed it, it goes right along with our intro to the um show, exactly. which was it was cut short because um normally have to go less than a minute so Facebook does not shut us down. So um, yeah. intro, that intro was self-destruction. Um yeah, I can't respond Kevin the- ha-
0: Kevin has a comment, man. Kevin has yeah. something to I say just,
2: have, just one ahead, sec. Kevin. Um uh based on what Terry said, now, um, there's another reason I, ha- I have to give the, the, you know, some of us rightfully so didn't trust going to therapy for historical reason. Uh, in the South, after reconstruction and when there was the, the great migration from the South, a lot of us who were from, uh, are from Chicago, but even New Haven. Uh, And other places have family from Mississippi, North Carolina, and other places. When there was a movement that when um, we came from the South, we came to the projects in St. Louis and Chicago, and there were, um, there was government funds, what we call either Section 8 today and anything, for people to move. And what happened was there had to be a social worker. This is why I became, really became a a black social worker. I still hold my credentials, education, but the reason why I really wanted to be a a black social worker, in GBAP, I'm the only black male clinician, and CRJ, which is Community Resources for Justice, which I'm doing work for in New Haven, I'm the only man in the whole organization that's a clinician or a therapist in the whole organization. And the reason why I became a social worker, because social workers are the ones that scared Black people. Let's be honest. There is a trauma. They used to come. And in order for the woman to get an apartment with her children and funds, they wanted to make, make sure there were no Black males in the house. No father, nobody there. So the social worker would come in and look for shoes. They would look for ties. They would look for any Black male clothing. They wanted no signs that there were any black men in that house taking care of their children or being husbands, the other thing was they they knew that the, the brothers would come at night to be with their families at a time where they didn't think social workers would come. Social workers broke locks, violated people's uh, property to 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 make sure that there were no men in that home. Now this is documented. And so there were children when they went to school, their mother would tell them, don't you talk to the social worker and tell them anything about our family business. So they, they there's this relationship based on if I say something to someone, I'm not safe and they're gonna come and break up my family. And so some of us today have grandparents that witnessed that, and they have passed on the fact that the pastor may be safe, the imam may be safe. But ah, uh, don't you go talking to that therapist because, you know, in, in the words of, of, of Kanye recently, was bipolar one says Uh-oh. you know he said that, this, that his, he stopped going to therapy because his therapist is working Mm-mm. with the feds, Mm-mm.
0: no doctor, um, nope.
2: Which I wanted to tell him, brother, find nope. you a therapist that you can nope. trust because you need it.
0: No, nope. nope. so, no Kanye, you know, no Kanye. So with, Kanye with Freestone, that,
2: there's a historical, and that's what what we refer to as historical and generational trauma. That, that 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 manifests in the dis- mistrust, which a lot of Black people have mistrust for the s- system, whether it's COVID shots or whether it is going to get therapy. And that is part of our trauma. It manifests in mistrust for the system.
3: Well said. Well said. I love my brother. <laughs> this is... Go ahead, oh, you that do it, in and then I'm going. I got a fireball. Go.
1: This, this, this is <laughs> the Urban Talk This is the Urban Talk Radio 103.5 FM WNHHLP. I am your host, Kinsley Osei, and my co-host, Shafiq. And if you are just joining us today on the Urban Talk Radio, you can join the conversation on Facebook at Bowmice and Twitter at Bowmice. Also on my Facebook page, Kinsley Osei. You can also stream this show on your smartphone or computer by logging on to New Haven and all platforms. Um, in the studio today, we have our very special guest, Brother Kevin Mohammed, who's a lead clinician at GBAP, Inc, the home of Executive Director Nancy Reverend Nancy Kingwood. I like Nancy a lot. I mean, you know, that's why I keep mentioning her name. Um, also, we also have Reverend Terry Williams. She's Adult Parole uh, Manager. Was it Parole or Probation Manager? I never get it right.
3: Parole Manager. manager. Yeah, the
1: workplace right now. Go Mike. jail.
3: I've animals, never like, go I've to jail. I've,
1: ne- I've never committed crime in my life, so I'm mm-hmm. never right. <laughs> <laughs> Black man, they never committed a crime in his life. <laughs> Five. <big
0: difference>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today's topic is the effects of urban and generational trauma. Now, uh, Shafiq, you wanted to um to yeah. So two things. So one, I want to throw out um is when I mentioned
0: a part about. Um, trauma bonding I'm referring to trauma bonding in the natural setting it happens because unfortunately the vast majority of our community is not in therapy they're in the barbershop I'm talking about when we're at the cookouts I'm talking about that the nightclubs I'm talking about in our the bus stop that people are trauma bonding all over the city everywhere but therapy Because, uh, you know, what you said, doctor, um, therapy is not even uh, something that is defined as being normal. Even outside of African-American communities, it's still considered a taboo. Um, And I know certainly when I was in law enforcement, don't you dare mention as a cop that you're going to therapy because it marginalized you and made you appear to be weaker than the others in the culture. Right. When in fact, yeah. my theory has always been um, the tr- it is actually your therapy that you get. If you're getting therapy, it actually helps you navigate your way through the culture without getting yes. caught up in the B.S. Right. Um, you know, it, but but it hasn't changed. So here's what I just want to add to that. You mentioned about the social workers. Okay. Um, but we all agree that those social workers did not do that on their own volition. That was policy. Yeah. And Absolutely. that same policy continues till today. Absolutely. So I dropped this nugget. When I was in law enforcement, we were trained to partner with DCF. And part of the DCF partnership was um, DCF, the police and in juvenile probation, they would have a and family with service needs in order to get a child and family with service needs, they needed to be arrested. Once they get arrested, then you automatically report in the parent to DCF. That forces DCF to trigger a mandate where they got to come to the house. We were trained, and there's probably still trained to us today, when you're an officer and you go to a house for something around uh, dealing with a child or even domestic violence or whatever, open a the refrigerator. They said, open the refrigerator and look. And if you didn't see no food, that's a sign of neglect. Trigger a DCF report. So there's men. So that, that that whole concept of mandated reporter, it actually now doesn't even make the imam or the reverend or anybody safe, because the child care worker, the after school worker, the, the the counselor, the coach, um, you, you know, your volunteer person, depending on what they're volunteering for and what kind of grants they might be getting through a nonprofit everybody's a mandated reporter and that mandated reporter triggers social workers or some type of policy generated come in and separate so how do how do we address i mean like so the question is i have is how do we address that policy how do we start working on that policy
2: change so 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 here's what i think we need to do right i actually think that therapy should be a part of the job of being a police officer because they're experienced sometimes the most terrible situations on a daily basis. Now, remember at the beginning, I talked about the unconscious, which I also wanna talk about the subconscious. Media, press, imagery pays a lot of, um, um, into what we do daily. So you figure when you go to court, Go to any court in New Haven. Who do you see in front of the judge most of the time? Black people. So you're you're a police officer. You're you're uh, even a principal of a school. You're whatever you do. So something tells you, somehow, some unconsciously or subconsciously, if these people are going to jail at this high rate of portion, they have to be arrested first. In order for them to be arrested first, they have to be either profiled or they have to be gone after. So if these people go to jail and they're doing time, a lot of us unconscious. Now this is not something we do consciously. These there must be something bad about these people. And it seems like the people from Dixwell Avenue, Stratford Avenue, or the Vale, the Trey, or whatever seem to be going a lot more than other people. So maybe it's their mm. communities that are bad, they're coming from. And this saturates our unconscious. It's not until we get into a Therapy session by a Black clinician that is using post traumatic slave syndrome, which is a theory, they haven't accepted it in the the, um, DSM, that started by first Naeem Akbar, Mm -hmm. but was sharpened up by Dr. Joyce DeGruy, that's saying that the lens that we use for most things is the lens that we were given in slavery and is internalized racism. Mm -hmm. The reason why DCF has collaborated, because I The only reason I'm a lead clinician for the Urban Trauma Center is because DCF doesn't have enough Black clinicians that have a compassionate heart and understand what Black people are going through that can sit in front of them. We can push back. I'm a mandated reporter, but I understand Black life. So when I see something in the Black community, I can push back and say, you know what, the lens under which I'm going to report this is biased. And, and and so it takes a certain type of revealing the unconscious and subconscious. We do it. You know, what happened with those officers in Memphis? When you look at it, yeah, one officer might have had trouble with the brother. But how many of us have this unconsciousness that no matter how hard we train, that internalized racism comes up? And because that brother looked like me, I'm going to hit him harder, beat him harder. There's something about that that rises to the occasion in the moment, no matter what our training comes. And then on the flip side, those that are white, even though they have sensitivity training and culturally responsive training and all that, genetically passed on to them through mindsets, unconsciously, because we don't don't deal with it therapeutically, constantly. When they make a decision, it's racist. So- so, Look at Kinsley, so, so Kinsley's fascinated.
1: You Kingsley's know, Kinsley's fascinated. He's like, go Kingsley. Nah, nah, this is what he do. you try trying to acknowledge? <laughs> I'm watching you, Kingsley. This I'm watching you. Kinsley's yeah, fascinated. He's is, like, I all the stuff this, I done
0: told him. This Kevin, is what he, the stuff that I done we, we he did. All told him.
1: He don't listen to me, though. He don't listen to me. We did 10s and 100s oh, of youth violence prevention assemblies. And Kevin Mohammed <laughs> this is... This is what he does. I'm trying I mean. to get Kevin on this Kevin, radio show for I, a year. Wrap like swap with oh, up, so chime in. Go ahead.
2: Yep. Yeah. So, so you know, um, so what I also wanted to say about that is recently you didn't
0: talk about the policy, though, Kevin. I, I, I got to okay.
2: yeah. You know, I so love so you, and I'm you...
1: trying to wrap up on that because yeah, but we got to we
3: got to make yeah. sure
0: we're talking about the right stuff because right. right. So I, the I can't I can't. Here's what I just want to say: This why because there's something inherently wrong when the police are used to weaponize a policy. I must say that there's something. So what you mentioned, like the officer having to basically having discretion when it comes to that kind of like the DCF thing and like, there's no discretion. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's the
2: thing, Shafiq. As a, as a, I have a, I have a code of ethics as a social worker and some things are legal some things are ethical. I didn't come into this field to be, um, not be a revolutionary. I was a revolutionary before I got here. And so ethically, me going with police is not ethical when it comes to my community and I will push back. And my licensure says at times when I'm being challenged legally and ethically, that I must do what is ethical. And so it's it's no coincidence that in the civil rights movement, the black men in many of the civil rights movement that stood against justice came from a social work background. And so what I'm saying is I am not afraid to push the, we have a responsibility. Now, as far as me making money and have a job, I'm a multifaceted genius as far as I'm concerned. I can make money any kind of way, but I came into this field to make a difference. So if a police officer wants to go with me to a home to a child with a child, unless my life is in serious danger, that's not something that I'm going to do. And my and, and I have the right to also make a report and give context in that report. Right. A lot of us, because we've been programmed, when it comes to a policy, we give the we, we 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 have a mindset. So there is policy. But there's also ethics and
0: discretion. So how do we get, so I, I'm going to just push on this again. How do we get the police out of DCF? But right now, if DCF, if there's a DCF issue and they need mm-hmm. to go get that child, the police show up. Mm-hmm. And the police are going to be like, DCF is here to take your child. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not, it's not the worst case scenario. Sometimes it could just be uh, some basic stuff, Right. And the DCF's got to come and take that child and the police are there. And that's po- that, that's a policy thing.
3: It's not a policy thing.
0: It, it's a policy it really, under the
3: police department. They, they're it's following not a their policy. policy. Thing. It's, it's really a locational thing mm. because you're not going with the police mm. in the mm. suburbs right. to take a child. Definitely. The social mm. worker is going by themselves. I went to okay. a training and I was just so mortified when the, when the DCF worker stated this. If I go to a house and the house is well lit and the children are left alone home and they op- not, not, may not even open the door or they talk through the door and they let them know they can't let them in because their mommy or daddy is not home. DCF is gone. But if they go to a neighborhood that is not well lit and there's people hanging outside and the little kids inside the house would say the same exact thing, mm. they are taking those children. Mm. And yeah. so that's what, you know, brother Hama, um, Muhammad was speaking about the implicit bias yes. that mm-hmm. we all have. with, And we don't hear house.
0: about, so, so here's what I'm saying, Reverend, and here's, So here's what I'm charging. I'm charging you all the day. Ding, ding. We don't hear about that. Mm -hmm. There's no absolute conversation. It's like that conversation, like there's so much focus on the police, which there should be. You always got to keep accountability. Mm -hmm. No one's talking about the implicit bias in
1: that. Well, you know, I wanted to chime chime in on this because you said something, uh, please, I don't want to forget my thoughts. I, I, I jotted down. You said therapy should be part of the job of a police officer. Absolutely. Um, perfection and qualification to be a police officer does not Does not exist right now. Because of the shortage of educators and police officers. They are pushing them through so fast that they are coming into the field without the right qualifications to be a police officer. Now, we just went through the whole defunding the police thing, which was the wrong verb to use. And people didn't understand what defunding the police means. Defunding the police was basically shifting the funds to such as, you know, places such as these topics and why it's so important. Um, A police officer should not have to wear the hat of being that therapy.
2: Yeah. So, so Kingsley, when I said that, right. If the you understand correctly. Yeah. When Go you ahead. when there is a diagnosis called post-traumatic stress disorder. That's in the DSM. It that is. came back because some of your toughest guys, soldiers, firemen, police officers, And I do, cause I have a men's group, right? And so it's easy for us to get tough on the outside and everything. But once we experience trauma, that can't be solved by toughness that's only solved through vulnerability and and actually what we would call getting soft right and so police officers experience a similar um and, and and some of us in our community too a similar experience that soldiers in war experience mm-hmm. right it's beyond their what trauma is is something that is beyond the normal coping skills to deal with. They're working overtime. They're being, So there should be some uh, amount of hours that they are required, I think, to check in. For the health of the police officer, now when a police officer goes through this all day long, who do they go home to? Their children. So they're shifting from a traumatic situation to home, which causes issues, or... They never really overcame the traumatic situation that they had before. And so they meet somebody that might be innocent. That had nothing to do with the previous situation, but they have been triggered and they're dealing with this situation without um, any type of coping skill or knowing any kind of awareness unconsciously. And here comes an innocent person in the community that sometimes is the recipient of police violence. So I believe teaching, where teachers are constantly uh, in a community where the children are victims of trauma. And and let me say this, trauma is something that's just not witnessed. There's two kinds of trauma, three kinds of trauma, direct trauma, vicarious trauma, compassionate trauma. Your nervous system, you know, can pick up when somebody is anxious or depressed and it can affect you without you knowing. So if you're around other officers that are triggered, as an officer that's mentally healthy, you can be triggered and also be a a, a victim of vicarious or compassion trauma for your fellow officer. Somebody ought to be checking on these officers to make sure that they are mentally healthy to go out to serve and protect. It's the same thing in education. It's the same thing in any field when you're dealing with a population Mm -hmm. of people who are the uh, uh, recipients of either generational trauma or
1: urban trauma. Every one of us needs to be checked on by some clinician. I think it's, tra- it's traumatic enough for us to even think the five black police officer can, pull, can, can beat up a black man to death after what our generation witnessed from uh, Rodney King. Mm-hmm. And this was even worse. As matter of fact, big shout out to Andrea, my wife. She wrote us a curriculum for today's Agents of Change on remembering Tyree um, Nichols. And she also made um, a comparison to, um, um he said, let's take it back. What do you know about Emmett Amity, You see, this is Black History Month. She brought it to Emmett Till, and I will bet you that about 30 students of agency change may not know nothing about Emmett Hill. And you're talking about CRT, critical race theory. You got the governor, uh, uh, Governor DeSantis, you know, trying to take away, you know, history, Black history from being taught to our high school students. I mean, it gets political. Uh, yes. If you watch yesterday's uh, State of the Union, President Joe Biden oh, went in. Whether you, whether you agree or disagree, a lot of the things that we're facing in our community is politically motivated. Whether you agree to it or not, you're talking about generational um, trauma, um, generational uh, whatever it is that you want to, you know, you want you, you want to talk about. Um, he talked about police brutality. Um, that we deserve to go home. He said he never had that conversation with his son about what it is to be pulled over, what to do when you are pulled over by the police officer. Unfortunately, we do. You see, we had a president that was actually saying this at the State of the Union. Does it mean that he does not support police officers? No, it doesn't mean that. He also said that police officers must be accountable to their actions. So, so this, I, this, I,
2: I would, I would like to say that critical race theory, to me, uh, calling it critical race theory and not just history, is a mental health issue. And I want to bring into two two groups. One are the Jews that suffered under uh, Nazi Germany. The reason why they say never forget is because they understand epigenetics. They understand what they suffered was passed on genetically to the next generation. And so there is a sensitivity to their history and understanding that even though the elders are gone, that they still have mm-hmm. the remnants of trauma from birth that's passed on the generation. The second group is what they call the Hanoi, which are the generation from the Japanese that are the children of Japanese and kids. They've done more research. Remember, J- Japanese Americans, not Japanese from Japan, were put in concentration camps in America. These are Japanese that didn't even know how to speak Japan, Japanese. J- Japanese that didn't even know how to speak Japanese because they were American citizens. They noticed that in schools, their behavior, they were acting out. They noticed that they had hypervigilance. They had a propensity to have heart attacks quicker than anybody. They had, that had health consequences and situations. And they realized that the trauma they experienced at the hands of the American government. Don't didn't only directly affect the parents who suffered in America, but the Japanese children to this day. One -hmm. of the ways they deal with it is historic awareness. Now, the Japanese made a mistake. The way they dealt with it was to forget about the history because it was too traumatizing, And they noticed the more they didn't talk about it, the worse they got Mm health-wise. So when you don't talk about what happened in your history, you don't release it, you don't address it, and you keep it in, it actually causes more psychological harm and damage. Mm-hmm. A lot of our children are acting the way they act because they don't understand that they're the recipients of a historical uh, history riddled with trauma. What does it do when you're aware? You can stop yourself and say, I'm acting this way because of Emmett mm-hmm. I'm acting this way because of the riots. I'm acting this way because from the years of 1960 to 1971, they took black people. This is recent. I was born in 1972. And they conducted cancer research exposing them to high levels of radiation because the United States government wanted to know how much radiation people could take. And they didn't tell these black people that they were exposed. And this is just in the 70s. Mm. They've also done research with blacks that graduated from Yale University, and became Yale University professors and worked high positions. And notice that the Yale graduates that were recipients of affirmative action that are now in their 60s and 70s died earlier than their white counterparts because racism is deadly. Oppression Mm -hmm. is deadly and it has an effect Even if Mm. we are educated, talk about it. Now
0: you're preaching. Now you're preaching. You preaching preaching now. We
1: might have to bring you back again. Preaching now.
0: Before the Black History
1: Month is over, to go in depth about racism. Um. I need Mr. Uh, 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 Reverend Terry to chime in. And then my Brother Kevin, I'll give you an opportunity to go through a couple of flyers that I have here as okay. to what you are doing at our GBAP. We got three queen, minutes. So we got a flyer for everything at GBAP. We got about three, four minutes to wrap up. Um, um, so let me have Mr. Terry chime in real quick. And then uh, Brother Kevin, you have about two minutes to talk about everything going on at GBAB that's coming up. Go ahead, Mr. Terry. Reverend Terry.
3: I just want to say when Brother Shafiq asked about, you know, policies, I know when we were working with the youth in our program, a lot of the youth asked, where are the programs for them? Yes. A lot of times they were not getting the help, as you stated, unless they were part of the system, the criminal justice system. So that's one thing that we have to really and have been changing because there are community partners that are out there that have programming for all ages in the community, and we have to do a better job at putting that information out into the community. So, from all ages, there's community um, providers that yeah. are working with our children. You know, not just the service, after school service service, service providers. You meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they I'm are gonna, out there.
1: I have I have this thing right here. And um topics that our students wrote themselves that they would like to tackle this year, our agency change scholars, gang violence, sexual violence, hate crimes, authoritative abuse, domestic violence, colorism, white supremacy, school shootings, parental abuse, drug abuse, trafficking, mental health, teacher shortage, lack of resources, targeting. Broken families and bullying. We have two uh, cohorts the violence prevention cohort and leadership through uh, social justice cohort. Out of those two cohorts, these are topics that our scholars said they would like to tackle for this next um, two two 10 week programs that
3: we are running. Brother Kevin Mohammed, you have one and a half. I want to just say that, you know, we have to, as, you know, Brother Mohammed was saying, our history, we have to know where we come from so that we know where we're going. And I just recently studied um, the social economics and injustice in the biblical realm. So we have to know that it's not just America. It stems back, rooted back to the Bible. A lot of the things that have been created. So we have to know where we are coming from so that we know where we're going. And so when we do that, you know, I I, I, I love my brother because the, as the educator, I can sit here and listen to him for hours, the knowledge that he drops. Yeah. And, you know, we have to make sure that we're putting it out to the community. Brother Kevin, you have one minute
1: to just um, summarize. Dr. Kevin. Muhammad. Dr. Kevin, you have. Get it right. You we have, we have, we, we have one so, minute to summarize everything coming up, and then um, we, we'll be glad to bring you to back again. Yeah, so
2: um, we're, we're starting an urban trauma center uh, at GBAP, 25 forward place. I'm the lead clinician. Um, so we're asking everyone to, to contact me at k.mohammed at GBAP.org. I can send you a referral uh, form. Um, I have to admit it's growing. I'm getting referrals every day. It looks like we may have to hire more people because there's only one of me. Uh, but um, we're asking, it's it's for children, 4 through 18, for BIPOC. That means that they're Black, Indigenous, people of color. Uh, and we're trying to address trauma in our community and our families. And so we're asking them to sign up and to
1: get the help that they need. All right.
3: information. This is the Urban DJ Talk Radio Moore
1: 103.5 right FM WNHA. I am your host Pinsky Osteen. <laughs> and if you are just joining us to be on Urban Talk Radio, you can join the conversation on Facebook at Bullmice and Twitter at Bullmice. Bo Bo Thank you, Reverend Cap, Doctor Kev. Thank you, Mayor.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Gotta come back, man. You dropped a lot tonight.